Okay, kid. The April 18th income tax deadline is a little less than six weeks away, and like me, you might not have started yet. But think about a group of accounting students who will be there to help you if you qualify, because these students enjoy helping them through one of the most stressful periods of the year in many instances and, and getting them through that difficult time. And so it's amazing to see. That's Dean of Business and Analytics Mark Morris talking about the nationwide volunteer income tax assistance program and how SIU fits into it. Exercise, walking on a treadmill, texting on your smartphone. Well, actually, some of us would rather text and skip the treadmill. But what would you think if there was some place to walk where you could actually see interesting things? We take our time. We emphasize that we're saunterers. We're not hikers. Essentially, what that means is um, we're going to go more slowly. Uh, we're going to stop and take pictures. In the middle of the pandemic, Christy Weaver organized a group called Shawnee Saunterers for those over 50. The group frequently sauntered through Shawnee National Forest. And now Colleen Reitersky, then a college geography major, was told by a friend of hers that Colleen should volunteer at a local senior citizen center. Mm -hmm. And I laughed at her because I have no background with seniors before working here or volunteering here. We'll talk to Colleen and hear about the sing-alongs to music on WDBX and the senior van she drives in a few minutes. And we'll hear from a local senior resource organization about seniors retiring to the streets. Also, how long COVID almost defies analysis by scientists. Then we go to boomers and obesity, boomers and hybrid work, and boomers drinking coffee. And now, it's good for you, coffee. Plus, Bob and Marcia Smith talk about an animal that escaped the zoo in 2005, and it's still roaming around. But first, the news. What do different generations think about hybrid work? This from our partners, babyboomers.com. Let's take a look at how hybrid working is affecting each generation. Starting with Generation Z. Generation Z struggles with productivity and work-life balance with remote work. In an office environment, Generation Z finds that they can switch off at the end of the day. Now, Going to Generation X, they favor a financial benefit of remote working. In a hybrid or remote work model, 60% of Gen Xers are noticing that they are saving money. Commuting costs, dog walking, and other payments add up with in-office working, and hybrid work models make all the difference for Generation X. And now to the Millennials. Like Generation Z, Millennials struggle with the newfound pressure they experience under a hybrid work model. 55% of Millennials reported experiencing pressure related to performance and achievement when working from home. And now to the Baby Boomers. We Boomers are fans of the hybrid and remote work revolution. As a matter of fact, I'm doing it right now. I'm announcing this in my own home. Now, according to surveys by LinkedIn, boomers are 15% more likely to apply to remote jobs than other generations. This could be for several reasons. Caring for children, family members, and pets become much easier in a remote work model. Older generations are more likely to spend time with family and prioritize solid work-life balance. And now let's go to a work-life balance that isn't so good. Sitting in front of a computer. 
from a recent study from the Journal of the American Medical Association, obesity was more common among baby boomers, 39% obese, versus 29% for the previous generation, known as the silent generation. Regular exercise was significantly less frequent, 35% boomers versus 50% silent. More than half of baby boomers reported no regular physical activity versus only 17% for the preceding generation. And oh yes, moderate drinking was higher in the baby boomer cohort compared with the silent generation, 67% to 37%. There were fewer current smokers in the baby boomer cohort, however, than in the previous generation, 21% versus 28%. So what's the solution? Toss the bottle or can or whatever and start walking. What's surprising is just how powerful a medicine a daily or near-daily walk can be. New studies find new benefits all the time, such as preventing heart disease and diabetes, relieving back pain, reducing anxiety, and improving quality of life. But what about sauntering through, say, a forest? In a few minutes, we'll talk with Christy Weaver, who started a group for those 50-plus called the Shawnee Saunterers. This from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC conducted several studies of COVID-19 survivors aged 65 and older. The studies indicated that people in the 65-plus population were at increased risk for neurologic conditions, including mood disorders, anxiety, and substance-related disorders. Now, these symptoms have been reported to persist for up to one year after acute infection and might persist longer. I've got it. I've got long COVID. I had brain fog, and this is one of the reasons why I'm recording part of the broadcast. Overall, more than 45% of survivors greater than 65 years in this study had several conditions. Among these senior citizens who are already at high risk for stroke and thinking impairment, post-COVID conditions affecting the nervous system are particularly troubling because these conditions could lead to early entry into supportive services or further medical care, which of course could be very expensive. The CDC noted that these studies had several limitations, meaning scientists continue to work on understanding COVID-19 and its long-term effects on certain people. I've had problems with dexterity, brain fog when I was doing live broadcasting, so uh, I'm uh, recording this newscast because I fumble around too much and have to re-record it. But things are improving. And now let's talk retirement. Some of us retire to South America, others retire to Florida, and too many of us are retiring to the streets. According to the American Society on Aging, homelessness among older adults is increasing. Among single homeless adults, approximately half are ages 50 and older. Of these, almost half first become homeless after age 50. Adults ages 50 and older who are homeless are experiencing health conditions, including cognitive and functional impairment, and this is before COVID. Uh, now, they're experiencing these problems 20 years earlier than their housed counterparts. They often use costly acute health care services and die prematurely. Ending homelessness among older adults will require increasing the supply of affordable housing, targeted prevention efforts, and expanding permanent support of housing adapted to older people's needs. Now, this ballooning population of older homeless people is composed largely of younger baby boomers who endured the recessions of the late 1970s and early 1980s, as well as the Great Recession in 2008. Seniors 65 and older make up nearly 17% of the population in the United States. That equals more than 65 million adults. 
By 2030, the number should exceed 73 million and about 86 million by 2050 when I'll be 98 years old. Now, poverty is 2.7 times higher among seniors 65 plus who identify as race other than non-Hispanic white. One of the causes of senior homelessness is non-payment of rent because they either can't afford it or forget to pay it. Becky Salazar of a regional agency on aging located in a rural area of the country says she's heard from both tenants and landlords about the problem. Just based on the number of calls that we get about uh, either from landlords or current people needing to find a place to live because they're getting evicted and that kind of thing, I've noticed more calls um, probably since the COVID pandemic um, that just of uh, having trouble making rent payments. Um, landlords a lot of times will call us to see if there's any help because they don't want to evict a senior and you know have them on the streets or um, and then we've had families call and say well you know my mom's being evicted do you have any information on other low-cost housing they might be able to afford because they couldn't afford you know where they're at what can you do for these people who don't want to be evicted who have no control over what's happening to them well uh, somewhat limited sometimes we can talk to a housing authority that will uh, allow them to move in and pay you know how you usually have to have like first month's rent and and that and they'll let them pay that over time gradually and i mean very gradually where they pay you know 20 extra dollars a month to try to make up some of those fees to get into a new place and uh and maybe reevaluate their circumstances to see if they're um, can get more subsidy towards the housing meaning they have they can pay less uh, some folks, it's trying to find a place that they can afford on their income, and unfortunately, a lot of times you're you're going to a place where there's, um, you know, I hate to use the word slumlords, but places that aren't very good landlords, the places in a bad neighborhood, it's it's not well kept. If they have issues, it's not going to be covered, and um, you know, a lot of times they're not insulated, so then their utility bills are going to be out the roof, even though their rent is lower. So, um, and then utilities becomes a concern. Now, this is happening all over the country now. I've read some um, articles about it happening in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, and in rural areas like here. Yes, I think uh, it doesn't discriminate on uh, location for sure. It's it's a rural uh, thing that's happening, but it's also definitely it's been in the cities. But we're seeing it more in rural America lately. Is it because of COVID-19? Is it because of the war? in uh, Ukraine? Is it because of the politics? What's causing all of this? The inflation? Well, just from what I hear from people, it's it's inflation. Electric bills are high. Medications are high. Food is high. Um, everything is higher, but people's income hasn't kept up with that. So what they're noticing is if they start um, not cutting back on certain things and they don't have enough to make ends meet, and unfortunately that ends up being rent or utilities. Has this happened suddenly, or has it been growing gradually? I, I've I've seen it growing gradually. I mean, there's always been um, calls on this matter. It's just maybe increased more. I think that maybe the the folks that were on the borderline before are now are now being in somewhat distress because of just how high things have gotten. Where I live in Carbondale, I occasionally see the homeless uh, now. Are a lot of these people on the streets, as you mentioned before, doing it deliberately because they like 
living without a home? Or are um, many of these people in the area out on the streets because they have no control for what's happened to them? Well, they're, they're definitely both kinds, but I, the people that we're seeing are people that they don't want to be homeless. They want to have a place to be. Maybe uh, their cognition has gotten worse through the last few years, and they're not able to remember to pay bills or understand how to pay bills. And so now they're in a situation where they're being evicted, and they're not able to even decide what to do. So... Um, those are those are the hard cases, and the shelters in the area are, I mean, they're they're booked, you know. So it's really hard, you know. You have uh, Lighthouse in Marion and Good Sam's in Carbondale and a couple of others around, but they're having to go to like Paducah or somewhere far, try to get a ride farther away to have an opening in a shelter. So shelters, uh, you know, used to you could get someone in pretty easy, but right now it's it's pretty hard. So what's happening is because of this drastic increase in people if you could say that uh the shelters are not able to keep up now are these shelters funded by private donations or uh public services or both uh usually uh the, like the townships and they probably do apply for state and federal grants so it's probably a mix of funding um, a lot of times for seniors the hard part is the shelters uh, require them to be able to do all these activities activities of daily living or care for themselves and if they have any difficulty getting around or doing certain things the shelter will will say they're too impaired to stay there so in that case they don't even have a shelter as an option they'd be looking at a, a nursing home or something like that and you know most people they, they don't want to go to a nursing home just be and, and that's that's the most costly thing someone could do well and medicare doesn't cover it does it no no um they they would have to be on Medicaid and and be and have a long term care need. So there's definitely a gap between those that have trouble living on their own and then needing a nursing home. There's like a an in between, and those folks um, it's hard to find the right place for them. And you mentioned people forgetting to pay their bills. Now I'm nearly seventy. I occasionally forget things, but it's not chronic. So are you talking about people with uh, dementia? Yes, uh, persons, uh, different stages of dementia or other cognitive issues, especially Alzheimer's, um, they'll, they'll gradually over time um, not even be able to remember uh, what things are for, what the things in the mail are. They might not even go out to get their mail. So um, it, it worsens over time. And if they don't have an active caregiver, that could definitely be a, become an issue. So the bottom line is, some of these people are incapable of thinking for themselves and taking care of themselves, and they're turned out into the heat. Yeah, yeah, they're they're out in the community without, well, without resources, but also without knowledge of how to help themselves or how to act, how to talk to someone about getting help. So the community as a whole would, you know. Um, is I guess their option you know the police have been good if they see somebody out on the street taking them into the hospital it's usually what happens and they're in the ER and then the ER will call agencies that they know deal with older adults maybe to come and do an assessment and see what's going on so uh, but you don't want it to get to that point where you have to have police and hospitals involved you know you want to catch it before then so now what can your agency do what's it do now to help these people these homeless seniors well, most of the time, um, we we refer to Shawnee Alliance, which they do this 
comprehensive case management for persons uh, 60 and older. So they, they meet them wherever they're at, whether it be, you know, in, in the street, at a hospital, if they're staying at uh, a friend's house. Uh, we notice some of the younger younger seniors, I guess, that become homeless, they usually are able to, they say, crash, crash at someone's house, and they'll stay there. But, you know, at the same time, it's usually that, that seniors having trouble making their bills also, and it's not an ideal situation. So, uh, but, but a lot of times they're able to at least go there, and then someone, uh, a case manager can go out there and see them in that home and try to see, you know, what's available, if they can get them emergency housing. Uh, sometimes they can get them into a shelter just until, um, a lot of the shelters also offer assistance finding a place. Um, and, and then it's, you just have to start, start at the bottom and ax, help them access all the benefits like food stamps and anything that helps pay for medications and their insurance. And, um, and then once they have a place, the energy assistance. I mean, there's a lot of programs out there, but you have to have the bare essentials to get started. Now, let's say someone is listening to this program in Waterloo, Iowa, or Mason City, Iowa, or maybe uh, uh, Douglas, Arizona, or someplace else in the United States, mm -hmm. and they're having problems with someone they know who is homeless, or maybe they're going to be homeless. Who do they contact in their area? Is there is a, is there a central agency nationwide? Well, if they're uh, 60 or older, uh, na nationally, there's there are area agencies on aging all over the nation. So uh, in Illinois, we have 13. So whatever state they're in, there would be an area agency. So for a senior, uh, they could look up the one in their area and call them for assistance. If it's someone under 60, I mean, there's a coalition for the homeless, and there are some um, national um, homeless programs that usually have branches throughout that they could also look look into. Uh, but specifically for seniors, the area agency would have the resources. I, I think the, the 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 best thing that we can do at a local level is just have the community uh, be aware that. Uh, seniors are out there and, and I, I think sometimes you don't think of seniors being homeless you know you think of them having their little home you know the baking cookies you know all the, the the nice thoughts you have of but you don't you certainly don't think about them not having a place to go so I just say be mindful of your community members and if you see them struggling in some way you know if they're not remembering to do certain things they're probably not remembering to pay bills or you know it's a good to check in on neighbors and that's Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging here in Southern Illinois. As we mentioned earlier from a study conducted by the American Medical Association, 39% of baby boomers are obese. And regular exercise for boomers is low, just 35%. And more than half of baby boomers report no regular physical activity versus only 17% from the preceding generation. So... How do you start exercising if you haven't done it for a while, hmm? Well, the answer is easy. There's a local group in southern Illinois for those 50 and older called the Shawnee Saunterers. Healthcare worker Krista Weaver started that group. Yes, I did. Uh, in March of 2021, right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, people were, uh, you know, kind of trapped inside and I was looking around um, on various Facebook pages, websites and so forth and I didn't really see 
where there was um, a group for people my age um, who could get together and, and do some hiking and enjoy the outdoors uh, at a time when there really wasn't a whole lot else we could do. Um, and uh, so I decided I would just create the group, and it really took off. Um, it's, it's grown beyond my wildest expectations. So. What date did you start the group? What uh, year? Uh, this would have been March 23rd of 2021. And you told me it grew to a size of? 1,300 members in eight months. Um, When I originally started it, I thought perhaps we'd have maybe 200 members at the very most. Uh, And just overnight, it just exploded. You know, word of mouth got out. People started enjoying it and telling their friends. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, dealing with over 1,000 people. So um, it's been an incredible experience. And, of course, you're hiking in southern Illinois. Now, people, as I mentioned, think of Illinois as Chicago and corn and soybeans. What's different about southern Illinois? Well, we have the Shawnee National Forest here. Um, I came down here in 1989 from the cornfields of normal Illinois. And uh, my initial experience with the area um, was was mostly hiking in Giant City State Park, which is really a beautiful state park, but I had no idea what was beyond Giant City. Um, We have another state park here, Fern Cliff State Park, and so many other areas, Bell Smith Springs, Jackson Falls, Burden Falls, all these really terrific places all over down here. And so many people have commented who come from places like Chicago that, that when they go into the Shawnee Forest, they can't believe they're in the state of Illinois because they just have no context for the things that we have down here. You know, they're, they're used to, like you said, either concrete or cornfields. And so this is just a whole new world down here. Now, in this brave new world, let's take a baby boomer who is retired and uh, he or she really doesn't want to do much and they're going to the refrigerator periodically, uh, eating the popcorn, maybe a few beers. Oh, a cake came in and then you eat the whole cake or the pie or whatever it is and they're starting to gain weight. Mm -hmm. And I've been through this myself where when you get a little heavier, you don't want to move. What would your advice be to someone who is in poor physical condition to start, just to get started? Well, you know, we have hikes that, you know, are for people with different skill levels. And so some of our hikes are um, for beginners and, you know, so they don't have a lot of hills or a lot of distance to them and the terrain's uh, fairly easy to navigate. But... um, I started out by walking around Campus Lake at Southern Illinois University, you know, just to kind of get in shape and to to build some endurance. And so just walking on flatter surfaces and increasing your mileage over time is helpful. Uh, and then signing up for some hikes where, you know, we're hiking one, maybe two miles at the most. And uh, when I post hikes on our Facebook page, um, I always am very descriptive so people know what they're getting themselves into. You know, so, for example, if we go to a place uh, that's more challenging, like the Little Grand Canyon, I let folks know this is a really difficult hike and you should only do this, you know, if you're in, in fairly decent shape. Um, so... I don't want anybody to get out there on the trail and be surprised or, or have some kind of emergency. So we try to, to keep folks aware of, of what they're getting themselves into. But also, um, not just in terms of 
physical health, but I am a mental health therapist. And uh, the Japanese have this concept of what's called forest bathing. And so from a mental health standpoint, I can see how it's been tremendously helpful to people, particularly, you know, during a global pandemic where people are feeling very isolated and getting depressed and anxious and so forth. Just being able to go out into nature and to allow yourself to be nurtured by nature uh, is just an incredible thing. And I have seen people really benefit from that uh, from a mental health standpoint, too. So all the way around, I think it's really impacted uh, people's well-being and just, um, you know, we're wired to be in nature, you know, yet most of us live in, in urban areas and so forth. And so it's kind of like that, that old expression, you know, that, that going into nature is like going home. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been terrific. It really has. So not only could people who have a lot of experience hiking do this, but they can join and go on a really easy hike just to start off to get back into shape. That's correct. Um, And we do have a lot of uh, members who, you know, maybe they've just had a hip replacement or a knee replacement, you know, and they're out there and they use two poles. We take our time. We emphasize that we're saunterers. We're not hikers. Essentially, what that means is um, we're going to go more slowly. Uh, We're going to stop and take pictures. And it never fails. In every group, we've always got someone who's a tree expert or a plant expert um, or who's familiar with the history of the area that we're in. And so we've always got interesting conversations going on and we're all learning from each other on these hikes and so um, but 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 I do emphasize that we're going to slow down and take it easy we're still physically fit for the most part but um, uh, we also don't want to do anything too over the top might result in somebody getting injured so so we do take our time sure you showed me the definition for Sandra could you go over that Sure. The term came from a John Muir piece that I read where he was explaining where the word saunter was actually derived from. It's actually a French word. He says, hiking, I don't like either the word or the thing. People ought to saunter in the mountains, not hike. Do you know the origin of the word saunter? It's a beautiful word. Way back in the Middle Ages, people used to go on pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and when people in the villages through which they passed asked where they were going, they would reply, a la santer, to the Holy Land. And so they became known as santerers or saunterers. Now these mountains are our Holy Land, and we ought to saunter through them reverently, not hike through them. I think that's a pretty good Uh, description of what we do as saunterers. We take our time. We take in all the beauty around us. You know, um, many of us like to practice the the Buddhist concept of mindfulness while we're out there. And so we're just in the present moment. We're we're not focused on the past. We're not focused on worries about the future. We're just out there enjoying what's right in front of us. Well, as a mental health expert, I can understand why you're doing this because physically you see people who are in in good physical condition, they're not as depressed as people who are not. That's correct. Um, I always emphasize in in my line of work, you know, that you're a mind, a body, and a spirit. And if one of those things is out of whack, it tends to throw the other ones out of whack as well. And so this is a way to improve your your physical health, your mental health, and your spiritual health all at the same time uh, in nature. So. That's Christy Weaver, who started the Shawnee Saunterers in 2021. And last week, I joined them for a saunter around Campus Lake at Southern Illinois University. Fifty years ago, I was running around the lake. Uh, I'm not as fast as I uh, used to be. And uh, I 
going to get up because it's time for coffee. Oh, it always hurts, but we do it anyway, and we're walking to the coffee pot. Uh, I learned something about coffee recently, um, and it's something that uh, really improves my spirits. According to a recent study published in the journal Nutrients, caffeine, polyphenols, and other natural compounds in coffee could play a role in decreasing the severity of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in overweight individuals with type 2 diabetes. Let's get the coffee machine going here. We're in the coffee room. Anyway... Well, let's get it going. You know, sometimes the buttons don't work around here. Okay, we got it. As I was saying, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease encompasses a range of liver conditions caused by the accumulation of fat in the liver. This can result in liver fibrosis, which can advance to cirrhosis, that's liver scarring, and even liver cancer. Unlike other life disorders, NAFLD is frequently caused by sedentary lifestyle and a diet high in calories rather than alcohol consumption. Now, study participants with higher coffee intake had healthier livers. Subjects with higher caffeine levels were less likely to have liver fibrosis, while higher levels of non-caffeine coffee components were significantly associated with reduced fatty liver index scores. The study suggests that for overweight T2D patients, a higher intake of coffee is associated with less severe NAFLD1. I'm going to have to have a cup here. Right into the WDBX mug. Mm. Ah, Delicious. Uh, Where were we? Yes, researchers surveyed 156 middle-aged borderline obese participants on their coffee intake. The study was conducted by the University of Coimbra. In Portugal. So that's the thing about coffee, and coffee is once again good for you. It goes up and down like a yo yo. This is OK Boomer, and I'm Robert Rickman. All right, let's talk about Bob Smith and yours truly, Robert Rickman. We went to one of the top broadcasting schools in the United States at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, as it was called. And one of the reasons why it was one of the top schools is because we operated the radio and TV stations, the public stations. And I was an anchorman on WSIU-TV, and one day Bob was the weather person. Now, what we did is we had a weather map and this huge camera, color TV cameras back in the 70s, um, was pointing towards Bob and the weather map, and it was a waist shot. So you didn't see anything below the waist, and all the camera person had to do was just stand there. Well... I had just finished uh, my anchoring, and I went to Smith. I said, Bob, uh, what's the weather look like? And they took Smith on camera, too, and and it was a a steady shot. But I saw through the monitor, and that's the uh, television screen I was looking at to see what was going on over there, that the camera was slipping down very slowly. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And then through the earphones of camera three that was pointing towards me, but off the air, I could hear the director screaming, camera two, tilt up, tilt up, you're tilting down, you're, what are you doing in here? Put that can down and go outside and tilt, oh no! What happened was the camera tilted down below Bob's waist and Bob was wearing cut-off jeans. And I'm sitting there looking at the monitor going, and then the, the cameraman comes running into the studio and there's this big four-foot-tall garbage can made out of metal, metal that was near, near the door, and he kicked it, kabang, 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 and the director panicked and said, take three, and I was on three, and I'm looking bug-eyed at 
at the trash can bouncing through the studio, and I go, uh, uh, okay, thanks, Bob, for that uh, warm, no, hot forecast, and uh, in more news, and I was fumbling around with the copy, uh, the paper, because it was all out of order, and I, and, and I heard the director going, take VTR2, roll it. Well, you roll it 10 seconds before you put it on the air, so you had a bunch of static stuff, and all oh, the newscasts went down in a ball of flame. Well, on that happy note, Here's Bob Smith. Okay, let's get going with some good trivia here on Hey Boomer. This is Bob Smith along with Marcia Smith with some fun facts for you today. Okay, Bob. Back in 2005, what animal escaped a Kansas City zoo and is still seen roaming the country today? Wow. (laughs) They haven't been able to catch this animal. No, they have not. Is it a dangerous animal? No, that's why it's still roaming. Oh, okay. Um, but it's very out of place in many places, including Wisconsin. Well, what is it? It's a large pink flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> when was this? When did it leave? 2005. So it's been 17 years. since that time? 17 years. His name is Pink Floyd. And, uh, <laughs> pink Floyd. <laughs> and he is literally a free bird, right? Oh, gosh. And you got all the rock and roll references there. And he has been seen and documented traveling through such places as Texas, Arkansas, Wisconsin, and Louisiana, to name just a few. He's considered the longest-living animal escapee around today. That is a long time, and that's a long time for a bird to live, too. And flamingo, they fly a little bit, don't they? I mean, this yes. guy got from Wisconsin to Texas. That's quite a... Journey. Floyd the Flamingo. Pink, Pink Floyd the Pink Flamingo. Pink Floyd, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Why did the Duke of Wellington oppose railroads in the 19th century? Oh, uh, well. Uh, now, remember, railroads began in Great Britain. I think Robert Stevenson started the first one and see, went up from London North. He invented Beef Wellington. Beef Wellington any, has nothing to do with it. Okay, no, tell me. Okay. Well, the Duke of Wellington, (laughs) remembered in history for saying he disliked railroads because, to quote him, they encourage the lower classes to move about. Oh, move about. Well, we can't have that. Oh, my God, no. Oh, what's wrong, Duke? Of course you can't have that. Oh, look, there's a poor person walking across our lawn. And they're moving about. But is it a hobo? A tramp? Oh, here we go. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, we need to take a break. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, uh, wait a minute. Let Let me see here. Wait a minute. I have a break statement here. You do? We'll be back in just a moment. (laughs) And a clever one it is. (laughs) We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marcia. Smith. (laughs) Did you write that yourself? Yes. Do you like that? (laughs) Okay. Hey, hey, everybody. It's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Mmm, in a gumbo pot. 
Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery. Weird animals and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Techtime. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith, the podcast dedicated to insatiable curiosity and lifelong learning. Oh, God, where'd you come up with that one? Oh, Lord, did you stay up all night thinking of that? I found that. I thought it was pretty good. Insatiable curiosity. All right. Okay. Well, Marcia, I have a question for you about um, a famous person, famous author, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh-huh. Now, he had a lot of great uh, works. Uh-huh. Uh, invented a detective, one of the first detective series. Uh, what was Edgar Allan Poe's bestseller in his career? Was it a poem or a book? It was a book. Okay. Could have been a book of poems. <laughs> but was it? Was, was it really, Marsha? Was it? <laughs> no, it hark, wasn't. Hark, was it? Uh, okay, tell me. I have a feeling no matter what I say, I'm going to get it wrong. What okay, is it? Yeah, you won't believe this. Edgar Allan Poe's best-selling book in his lifetime was a textbook on conchology. Conch? What the heck is that? The classification of seashells. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Can you no, believe that? No, that does not sound Poe-like. No, you know, he, we think of him for his dark fiction and so forth, and yeah. his poems, quote the raven, nevermore... But with an engineering degree from West Point, he made much of his living reviewing books on science. That's where he got most of his income, was from that. And in the 1840s, the term science was barely 15 years old. No so, kidding. Yeah, brand okay. new field. Well, that's, that's uh, remarkable, actually. He wrote a book. <laughs> so I went, you're right. I could stay here for 10 years and wouldn't have guessed that. A book on seashells. Okay, Bob, here's your presidential bone I'm throwing you, which okay. you'll probably know right away. How long was President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? Well, I think it was only about two and a half minutes. Well, that's close enough. You win. It was well, about two. You. It was. <laughs> it was about two minutes, and it was less than two hundred and seventy-five words long. Isn't that amazing? It is. And uh, he gave it after the Union victory at Gettysburg, 
and he was on the dais with Edward Everett. Edward Everett, Edward okay. Edward Everett, who was one of the famous orators of his time, and he spoke for two hours, sat down. <laughs> and then Lincoln got up. It got up, spoke, spoke for, for two, two minutes, minutes, and sat and down. And everybody goes, what, what was that? It was, it's over. Yeah, immediate reactions to the speech were very mixed. Yes. But in the years that followed... The Gettysburg Address became one of the most important speeches in American history. Again, it's quality, not quantity. Packed in those 275 words was an amazing commentary. Well, you know, it's the 19th century. They don't have television, so they have to be entertained some way. Yeah. And so when people would get up and speak, it would be an hour, two hours of a talk. Did you know? they use puppets? Uh, I don't know if they use puppets. I don't think they did at Gettysburg anyway. Okay, but, uh, it probably wasn't appropriate. The most fascinating thing about the Gettysburg Address to me has always been that line about the world will little note nor long remember what we say here. And it was <laughs> <wrong>. absolutely wrong. <laughs> the world noted that. The world remembered it. I remember in third grade having to memorize the Gettysburg Address. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, and you had to learn the thing, and then it was like a test. You had to repeat it, and That's people good. got up and did it. That was a good thing to learn. It was, and it made us diagram, what is this about? What are these things? How much is four score and seven years yeah. ago? How many years is that? 44. 87 years. That's what I said, 87. 87 years, and you do the math, <laughs> that was when the Declaration of Independence was written. So 87 years ago, our forefathers brought on this continent a new nation. A new nation. All right, Marcia. Do your Abraham Lincoln impression. You're, you well, do it score on seven years ago. I don't and know it's, how he it's, Well, it's perfect. That's supposed why. to have had a high, kind of a high-pitched and reedy kind of a voice. Uh-huh. We talk like this. Yeah, so. he was long and tall. Four oh. score and seven. <laughs> well, now, Marcia, that brings to mind this question. Wait. Where does the word hooch come from for liquor? Hooch. <laughs> now, let me tell you, in my day... <laughs> I knew about a lot of hooch. <laughs> now, where does the term hooch, hooch come, come from? come from? Well, that's a very interesting answer, and share it with us, Bob, because <laughs> I don't know. Well, it comes from Alaska, and here's the situation. U.S. Army soldiers were stationed in Alaska after it became a U.S. territory for many years. Okay. They just put the military up there because that's a new territory, and it's owned by us, right? Mm-hmm. They were forbidden whiskey, so they bought it from the Hoochinoo Indians. Really? <laughs> the Hoochinoo Indians who made their own. And by 1877, the soldiers in Alaska were calling all strong, homemade, or illegal whiskey Hoochinoo. Hooch. I love it. See, I, now I've learned a lot with that question, Bob. Thank you. And then during the <laughs> Klondike Gold Rush of the 1890s, that nickname was shortened to just Hooch. Yeah. So that's the story. That's where hooch, hooch came from. Hooch Aren't you glad you asked the question, yes, young Abe, lady? Yes, <laughs> that's, that's very uh, enlightening. That's trivia for OK Boomer from Bob and Marcia Smith. Back to you, Robert P. Rickman. Well, Robert P. Rickman is here, and Bob, I think you've had some hooch. What do you say to that, Colleen? OK, Boomer. OK. Hey, Boomers, did you know that free tax preparation services are available in any U.S. for any U.S. citizen, whether single or married? as long as their income does not exceed $58,000, and they take the standard federal deduction. Did you know that? Now, this is important for you because uh, if you're like me, you don't like doing your taxes. Anyway, this program is called VITA, Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, and is available all over the country. In fact, universities are taking part in the program, as SIU's Dean of Business and Analytics, Mark Morris, talks about it and explains what the program's about. What it is, is essentially we have student volunteers providing tax services to low-income 
individuals. And uh, it's quite a service to the community that we're providing, and we're very proud of it. And uh, so what that allows the students, too, to do is, under the supervision of tax faculty and other faculty being there, is having some kind of real-world experience. You know, I mean, you're literally sitting there with a client, if you will, helping them through one of the most stressful periods of the year in many instances and and getting them through that difficult time. And so it's amazing to see um, the students' reaction and, and how they feel after this, this experience because you're sitting with someone and, it, you know, they're a little stressed and everything, but when, when they finally see that their tax return is complete, uh, it's been verified by a faculty member with ex- expertise, and now it is e-filed, and it's done. That relief that they have and, and, and just, the, um, just how pleased they are, you know, and just so happy that that has been done for them, and they're very thankful. And, and that's a good, good feeling to give our students, to let them know that, hey, this is, you're giving back to the community. I mean, and it's great for them. So. And I'm sure the community appreciates it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, every year we get the calls of, hey, when is the VITA program starting? We want to know. And so we're, we're very glad that now it is back and, and we get to serve the community in, in that capacity. I think at one time we probably served 250 to 300 clients over that time period. And so it's, it's really good, and the outreach is pretty wide. They come from all over southern Illinois to come and, and get that tax assistance. So it's, it's a great way to give back, and, and it's a great way for the students to learn. Okay, any final thoughts? Now, every day is a great day to be a Saluki, you know, having graduated from here and, uh, and now being able to serve in the role that I'm serving in. It's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure. And so just getting out here and, and helping in any way that I can and, and knowing that the College of Business and Analytics and the university, Southern Illinois University, is just here for the community and doing all that we do and uh, wanting to be more and more a part of that and engaged with the community. So we're looking forward to getting out there even more than what we are and being a part of this great community in Southern Illinois. That's Mark Morris, Dean of Business and Analytics at Southern Illinois University, located just north of Shawnee National Forest. And the mascot is a Saluki dog, so we call ourselves Salukis. Now, the program resumes March 19th after SIU's spring break and continues each Saturday through April 2nd. Students will offer the free tax preparation services from 9 until 1. Laura Lee Glick, a junior accounting major and one of the coordinators of the VITA program, gives the instructions. We are preparing um, at Wren Hall at SIUC, at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. And um, Wren Hall is very easy to find on Google Maps or whatever map you use. Um, And we'll be in the basement, but we have people to lead you to our location. So it's very easy to find. That's for VITA tax preparation at SIU. But if you live anywhere else in the United States and want to take advantage of VITA, contact your local college, university, or library. Okay, you've heard about vans taking senior citizens to doctor's appointments and grocery shopping. Who's doing the driving? Now, in one small town of 25,000, one of the senior vans is driven by a 31-year-old named Colleen Reitierski, who started out as the senior center as a volunteer. Yes, I started here in fall 2017. 
as a volunteer in the adult day service program. What prompted you to volunteer? So I had a friend who worked with me at my previous workplace, and she recommended that I come here and volunteer. She thought I'd like it. And I laughed at her because I have no background with seniors before working here or volunteering here. But I started volunteering and kept coming back. <laughs> then what happened is you you told me you started getting short on funds and? Yeah, um, I, uh, it was a few months that I was volunteering and I kind of depleted my savings account. And so I was telling everybody here, well, I got to go job hunting. And uh, the boss at the time, Henry Long, he was like, would, would you like a job here? And I was like, yes, I would love a job here. I've, I've been coming to work here for months now. So they hired me in February of 2018. So what you do is you drive the van and you take seniors to various places in Carbondale. Yes, that is true. That's, uh, that's what I currently do. I drive the transit van and I pick up folks at their house. I can greet them at their door, help them to the van, help them get in the van if they need it. And then we, I take them to any location within Carbondale city limits um, and pick them up and take them back whenever they're ready to go home. Tell me, what was the most interesting passenger you drove? There is one lady that is quite a character, and she's, she's one of my regulars, but um, I'm not really sure how to describe her other than being incredibly colorful and uh, opinionated and wonderfully, wonderfully opinionated. <laughs> now, tell me about one of the goofiest van rides you had. Something silly, something uh, completely unusual, but interesting. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have to say some of our sing-alongs, because, like, we can, we play music in the van, and I can, I can pretty much play anything that's, like, appropriate for the public, so WDBX is often on the radio whenever I'm driving the van, and they play some pretty nice sing-alongs, so when you get the whole van singing to some of those songs, we get chuckles, because some people are self-conscious about their singing voice, but they, they sing along anyway, make a joyful noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, now your background is nothing, I'm talking about your college, when you went to college, your degree, is nothing like this. Describe your background. So I attended SIU from 2013 to 2015 for geography and environmental resources. I started this with the intention of getting into environmental sustainability. But when I found, I found out during my studies that not only does sustainability have to do with the environment, it also has to do with societal sustainability and economic sustainability. And that's whenever I got into social, the social sustainability aspect of it. And working with the public is a form of helping to sustain the social and cultural aspects of this area. And so that's kind of how I justify working here with my bachelor's in geography. Okay, sustainability. Could you be specific? Sustainability. Let's see. It's the ability for a 
program or a way of life to continue without like the detriment of the area in which it happens. That's Colleen Raturski. She drives the van for the Carbondale, Illinois Senior Citizen Center and is a graduate of Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. And Carbondale is located about 50 miles north of where the Mississippi and where the Ohio rivers come together. And that wraps up OK Boomer for today. I'm Robert Rickman. Join me again next week. OK Boomer. Bye-bye.